This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Monday, March 13th, and our financial system is safe as money in the bank. We start here. After the biggest bank failure in years, the federal government takes over. When you put your money in the bank, you want to know that it's safe in the bank. We'll explain what happened and how this could end up affecting you. For four years, Mike Pence was as loyal as you could get. Well, his four years are up. President Trump was wrong, he said. His reckless words endangered my family. Bridges are burning in the GOP before candidates even announce. And the Biden administration wants to keep families together on planes. But were they being kept apart in the first place? The last thing you want to worry about is your seven-year-old child sitting several rows behind you. Inside the proposed new legislation this morning targeting junk fees. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. The concept of a bank run always sounds very old-timey to me. Like My mind goes back to Mary Poppins when all those men in top hats are rushing to get their money out before the bank simply runs out of money to give. There's something wrong. The bank won't give someone their money. Well, I'm going to get mine. Come along, young man. Every penny in this And give me mine, too. It doesn't happen much anymore because... We're supposed to have rules to deal with this. Your average account is FDIC insured, which means even if your bank goes bankrupt, belly up, the federal government will pay you back every penny you deposited with that bank up to $250,000. Well, late last week, there was a run on a bank on the West Coast. Breaking news out of the South Bay involving Silicon Valley Bank. Depositors hurried to withdraw money amid concerns over the bank's health. Now, remember what a bank is. It's not just a vault where money sits around. The bank loans it out, effectively investing in stuff to make extra money for themselves, for you, for their other customers. And if these loans or investments go bad, they can run out of money. But again, every penny insured up to a quarter million. The only problem here was this bank catered to lots of accounts worth much, much more. Suddenly, much of that money appeared to be gone, resulting in the biggest American bank failure in 15 years. This weekend was all about figuring out the extent of this damage. Well, last night, hours before banks reopened for the week, the Treasury Department and Federal Reserve announced that these Silicon Valley bank customers will indeed get their money back. What does that all mean, though? ABC's chief business and economics correspondent Rebecca Jarvis starts us off. Rebecca... This seems like a lot. Can you just walk me through what has happened here? Uh, Well, first of all, Brad, you really have to go back to the pandemic because Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, is or was now the go-to bank for the tech industry and startups. And when those companies boomed during the pandemic, their deposits at SVB ballooned. And SVB took that money and invested it in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And this was back when interest rates were rock bottom. They were 0%, remember, a a couple years ago. Now, in the last year, as interest rates have gone up, those securities that SVB owned have tanked in value. So SVB started selling 
these securities. And they told the market on Wednesday of last week that not only would they be selling them, but they were also trying to raise more capital. I start getting a ton of emails, slacks, texts from other founders. And that set off fears in Silicon Valley among venture capitalists, among some of the funds, among some of the big startups that, wait a minute, is this bank in trouble? We are trying to save our seed round. We just raised our series A, so the whole money is in there. Late Wednesday into early Thursday, all of these venture capitalists and startups and founders were contacting SVB to pull their money from that bank and to put it elsewhere into what they considered safer banks. Friday morning, woke up, um, checked our accounts. The wires had not gone through. And um, as a result, $42 billion on Thursday came out of the bank, and by Friday morning, they were insolvent. We wired out the money yesterday, but Silicon Valley Bank did not honor our wire. They could so, not cover the degree of, of withdrawals that people were coming in to make, and the FDIC took over on Friday morning, and now you've got a bunch of people who are shut out of their accounts. All our money is in the bank. I don't know how we're going to do our payroll. I don't know what we're going to do now. We can't pay our vendors today. What happens when tens of thousands of companies can't pay their vendors anymore? You mentioned that people are insured up to $250,000, and that's true. But whatever goes over that amount is uninsured. So a lot of the accounts, somewhere in the neighborhood of 95% of the money that SVB had was uninsured. And right. now I was, that's- Yeah, I was going to say, Rebecca, like how much should we- ca I hear someone's got $10 million in the bank and they only get back $250,000. Like, boo-hoo. Who, who are these millionaires and these companies losing their money and how does that affect other people? Well, it's not just millionaires. There are lots of founders who have spent years of their lives trying to create companies. The founders that I am close to run businesses with young, small, scrappy teams. You know, my team is 15 people. And they um, banked with Silicon Valley Bank because that was the place where a lot of startups did their business. Something like half of all startups in the country have done banking with Silicon Valley Bank. We have more than 20 kids that depend on those salaries. And so when I think about the impact of this, you know, I can, I can make the next couple of payrolls, but if I have to go beyond that, like there's, there are a lot of children that are going to be impacted that. Everybody wanting their deposits back at the same time was a big part of the problem that SVB faced. A bank is supposed to be one of the most secure places that you can work with, right? This is not some big bet. We are not putting all of our company finances in crypto. And that scenario can play out elsewhere. And if it did, that would be highly problematic. You have a number of the regional banks. For example, First Republic Bank has sent out messages saying its capital and liquidity remain strong. I do want to point out regional banks and smaller banks live by a different standard than the big banks. The big banks that got the big bailout during the financial crisis, the strings that were attached to that were massive capital requirements that forced the banks to be in tip-top shape. And companies like Bank of America and JP Morgan, they already are the big beneficiaries of this fallout because startups that are pulling their money out of SVB are now putting their money into the big banks because they have more stringent standards, because they are sort of, in quotation marks, safer bets. 
and, and so that takes us up to last night, right? The Federal Reserve has been saying the banking system remains resilient and on a solid foundation. But some customers were worried that, you know, this could spread to other banks. Like if Peter owes Paul, but Peter can't get his money back from SVB, Paul's bank would be in trouble potentially. So the Treasury Department, Federal Reserve, the FDIC all come out and say they're going to cover these deposits even over the ones over 250000 Why? The Fed was basically forced into this action. They looked at the risk of all of these people, companies, startups, not being able to access their money. And they decided to take this emergency action where they are saying that depositors will have access to all of their money starting Monday, March 13th. Hmm. No losses associated with the resolution of Silicon Valley Bank will be borne by the taxpayer. So what they're saying are essentially two things. They really want to distinguish that this is not a bailout for people who own shares Mm. or owned shares of Silicon Valley Bank when it went bankrupt. When you buy a stock, you're taking a risk that that stock can go higher, but it can also go to zero. When you put your money in the bank, you want to know that it's safe in the bank. And this action that the Fed is taking is to send a signal not only to those Silicon Valley Bank depositors, but really to every American with a bank account in the United States at an FDIC-insured bank, that if your money is there tomorrow, it's going to be there next week and beyond. But Brad, I will say another interesting part of this news um, that just came out overnight is that there was a hope that some buyer, some white knight bank would come in and buy Silicon Valley Bank. It doesn't seem like that materialized. The, the government and the Fed are having to do this because the private banks that exist that got bailouts in 2008, they don't want to do that this time. Right. And I think that's going to be the big debate today is, is this a bailout or not? Because you could say, yeah, company that failed got money just to make it better again. That's a bailout. The administration saying, no, this money's coming from the FDIC. The FDIC is not funded by taxpayers. It's funded by banks themselves. So it's not a bailout from taxpayers question will be, is this the last one? Because if this happened more, and if banks felt emboldened to keep making risky moves, that money could start drying up real, real quick. Uh, Rebecca Jarvis, thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. Next up on Start Here, if some Republicans have treated January 6th like a joke, Mike Pence isn't laughing. Was this the biggest moment of his campaign before his campaign even begins? When we come back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. 
We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. It sounds like it should be a gathering of football players, but the Gridiron Dinner is this big fancy gala in Washington where politicians and journalists kind of lightly heckle each other. It's usually full of laughs. And while former President Mike Pence came to crack a few jokes this weekend, he described himself as wanting to be the bad boy, the rebel, kind of like Mitt Romney. Then, ahead of a possible presidential run, he made it very clear he is now coming for his former boss. ABC's political director Rick Klein joins us. And Rick, you you were at this dinner, right? I mean, what was the message from Pence and what was the reaction in the room? Yeah, Brad, I'm a member of the Gridiron Club, and it's usually just a funny, fun time. A lot of singing and dancing and making fun of uh, of others and making fun of each other and making fun of yourself. But suddenly, halfway through Pence's speech, uh, he took a very serious turn. And, and, and Brad, no recording was allowed, but it was explicitly on the record. So Pence knew exactly what he was doing when he said, and I quote, history will hold Donald Trump accountable for January 6th. President Trump was wrong, he said. His reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. And and in the context of what we saw just this past week from Fox News' Tucker Carlson. Taken as a whole, the video record does not support the claim that January 6th was an insurrection. In fact, it demolishes that claim. Taking some uh, very selectively and deceptively edited uh, tapes to to suggest that some of the people that were walking through the Capitol were essentially sightseers. Uh, What Pence said is, quote, tourists don't injure 140 police officers by simply sightseeing. Mm -hmm. Tourists don't break down doors to get to the Speaker of the House. Tourists don't threaten public officials. It was a very strong message by former Vice President Pence that he does not look for, he's not going to allow history to be rewritten in this way. Well, why now, though? Because Mike Pence's entire political persona for four years basically became, I will not deplore Donald Trump for any reason. But why wasn't he making these calls? Um, That'd be a good question for him. Right, like for every controversy that came up, he might not repeat what the president said, but he was never going to say Donald Trump was wrong. So to say that now, what is, is it just Pence is likely going to run for president? Trump's already running. That's it. Yeah, a couple things going on. First, there is an effort, and I think the the release of the tapes through Tucker Carlson's show is a piece of it. There's an effort to rewrite the history, to go back and, and relitigate January 6th, which even many Republicans who feel like January 6th was a disaster, they just think it's a bad idea to go look backwards at it. And could the, mm. They'd like to be done with it. Mike Pence, among many others, would like to not discuss it at all. But there are efforts on Capitol Hill and beyond uh, to make something out of it, to even investigate the, the investigation of January 6th. So that that's one piece. The other thing is, yeah, 2024 politics. This is the time, Brad, where we start to talk about lanes in a race. We're going to make 
America great again. We know who Donald Trump is. We know who his supporters are for the most part and how solid they are. We know that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis occupies a big outsized space. We've done things like eliminate critical race theory from our K through 12 schools. And we just saw him in Iowa and Nevada just in the last couple of days. Uh, but what else there's room for is still an open question. And Mike Pence right now is trying to define that. Wait, is there a, is, is one of these lanes one where like you, you don't want Fox News viewers who think Tucker Carlson <laughs> is like, is one of the, is there a lane for that type of Republican? It, it is a bank shot of a lane to mix sports metaphors, Brad. It's very difficult to see how Pence succeeds in this. But as an opening bid to say that we can't be irresponsible about uh, rewriting or washing over the, the atrocities of January 6th, he might be with a mainstream, perhaps of the Republican Party, but of the country more broadly, who views that day as the disaster, the, the dark day in American history that it was, and, and views the causes of it as, uh, honestly speaking, something that was connected directly to the rhetoric of former President Trump. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It's clear he decided to be part of the problem. And that, I think, is how Mike Pence needs to define himself in this political moment for members of the press who are giving him some scrutiny now as a potential presidential candidate, as well as to voters who are going to wonder what is it that Pence is offering that Trump and DeSantis and some others is not. Well, and speaking of stories that have kind of aged differently just in the last couple of years, Donald Trump was being investigated for these like hush payments to Stormy Daniels, the adult film actress, a few years ago. Everyone was wondering if like he could actually be indicted. Eventually it felt like, nah, I guess I guess they're not pursuing this. Well, now it does sound like the former president could potentially get a criminal indictment. Like what are we looking at here? Yeah, and you have to remember back into the, the history of Trump scandals to remember this was uh, a, an alleged scheme to pay off hush money to the porn star Stormy Daniels, whom uh, President Trump was alleged to have had an affair with. This had to do with Michael Cohen, uh, his longtime fixer, who's since turned on him and has been cooperating with this grand jury and with prosecutors in New York. I think it's uh, disgraceful, and so does a lot of other people. This is a pure and simple witch hunt. The former president has consistently denied the allegations, whether or not you believe those denials. And now prosecutors in New York appear close to making a case that uh, could even be a felony case of subverting the campaign finance laws in the state, uh, of orchestrating a scheme and then potential cover up if that's what they end up bringing charges around. We know that this effort to uh, reach out to Trump and allow him to testify, we don't believe he's going to do so, is usually connected with the end stages of an investigation. So it mm -hmm. would appear from the outside that prosecutors in New York are close to potentially bringing charges. You have to keep this separate from some other things that are out there. We have a, a special grand jury in Georgia, and this is also separate from anything that might stem out of the January 6th investigation, which is now being handled by a special counsel here in Washington. And I have to say, legal experts that, that look at all three of these uh, potential areas of, of legal jeopardy probably view this New York case as um, maybe the weakest, also probably the smallest in the grand scheme of things. Uh, this was an alleged effort to obstruct campaign finance laws several years ago, uh, did not have anything to do with the conduct that ultimately would lead us to the discussion around January 6th and the ugly, messy aftermath of the election. Yet never small potatoes to say a former president might be indicted, and yet when it comes to January 6th and classified documents. Stormy Daniels, we'll see what happens there. All right. Rick Klein, thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. You might remember back in February when President Biden gave his State of the Union address, he was speaking to a divided Congress. Not a great chance of big, ambitious laws getting passed if they're not bipartisan. So he spent perhaps more time than expected talking about the smaller stuff. My administration is also taking on junk fees. Those hidden surcharges too many companies use to make you pay more. 
In this moment of economic uncertainty, so-called junk fees are seen by this White House as a winning political target. And will prohibit airlines from charging $50 round trip for family just to be able to sit together. And this morning, we're beginning to see what that looks like. The Department of Transportation just sent proposed legislation to Congress asking lawmakers to make trip planning easier for families. But what does this mean? ABC's Sam Sweeney covers air travel. Sam, what is this rule that they want to install? Brad, the president and Secretary Pete Buttigieg have been all over this. They want to remove any fee that a parent would have to pay to keep their child next to them. We're talking about kids generally under the age of 13. Now, a number of airlines have come forward and said uh, any child under the age of 13 or under the age of 12 can sit next to you free of charge. We're talking about Frontier, Alaska, American. But the other airlines have said we don't have those policies in place but we'll do the best that we can. And Sam, like, I, I don't have kids, right? So I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out, is this a real thing? Because like, I've seen TikToks from parents who describe the phenomenon of not being able to sit with your kid. When we booked this flight, it wouldn't let us select our seats for some reason, so our family wasn't sitting together. But is this like when I try to buy a seat and the flight's full, so I just can't sit next to my traveling companion? Or are there actual fees like, oh, it's a kid, it's going to cost an extra 50 bucks to sit by you? Look, the airlines charge you based on where you are seated. So if you are in row 55 or row 30, your seat is going to be cheaper than if you were in row 8 or row 1. And, you know, obviously first class costs more, but those first few rows of economy cost more as well. They have extra room. On some airlines, you get free alcohol. What if there are no seats available in the way back and you have to sit up there and pay more? Well, some of these airlines are saying, we will work with you. But on airlines, let's say Spirit, where you have to pay to choose your seat, you would have to pay for a child to sit next to you. And that's what the Department of Transportation wants to eliminate. Baggage fees are bad enough. Airlines can't treat your child like a piece of baggage. Think of it like this. You're going on vacation. You're already stressed. You're traveling with children. The last thing you want to worry about is your seven-year-old child sitting several rows behind you or several rows in front of you. You should be able to sit next to your child free of charge. And that's what this administration is lobbying for. Right. And obviously, like a huge difference between like, I can't sit by my husband and I can't sit next to my seven-year-old. Like, that's a huge problem. And you can see how parents would feel almost penalized for like just exercising their parental judgment like that. You said right now there are only three airlines that make this part of their policy. What are the other airlines saying like i got to imagine this comes up all the time for them there's a lot of gray area so like i said alaska frontier and american have guaranteed it under their contract of carriage and look brad every airline is different southwest is one of the biggest outliers here because they don't have assigned seating so what do you do if the government says that families need to be next to each other well southwest has said look we're always helping families we allow them to board typically after the A group. So that's that first boarding group. And then there's plenty of seats available where families can choose to sit next to one another. Let's talk about United or Delta. They say they're gonna do their best. They're gonna work with families. It's very rare that a parent wouldn't be able to sit with their child. And Scott Kirby, the CEO of United Airlines, who has seven kids of his own, recently said, I get it. Look, if there are no seats available that would allow you to sit next to your child, we will let you go to a different flight where there are seats and we will let you do that free of charge. Delta, on the other hand, says a similar thing. We will do our best that we can do, and we will also block off seats on our seat maps so that if you see a flight, you buy it, and you don't see a seat next to your child, you can call us and we will go into you know these secret seats that we have saved away for families for these certain situations, and we will assign you seats next to one another. 
All right, Sam Sweeney covering the airlines. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, the moment you've all been waiting for, the one last thing goes to, actually, let's open the envelope after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And one last thing. Everyone's nervous on Oscar night, but last night, perhaps those who were the most nervous were organizers themselves. Well, luckily, everyone kept their hands to themselves. Jimmy Kimmel took his most vicious swings at people not in the audience. If anyone in this theater commits an act of violence at any point during the show, you will be awarded the Oscar for Best Actor. And everything went more or less according to plan, including absolute dominance from the darling picture of the year, everything, everywhere, all at once. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere. Going into the evening, it had actually already won more Hollywood awards than any other film in a year, surpassing even that year Lord of the Rings seemed to win everything. I just won an Oscar! Jamie Lee Curtis won the first Academy Award of her career, and in a triumphant moment, Michelle Yeoh not only won her first Oscar, but became the first Asian woman ever to win Best Actress. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. Throughout the night, people couldn't stop talking about the movie in general, but also about the acceptance speech from the man who played Michelle Yeoh's doting husband on screen. Before Ki Hui Kwan was in Everything Everywhere All at Once, he had started his life over again and again. My journey started on a boat. I spent a year in a refugee camp. And somehow, I ended up here on Hollywood's biggest stage. His family fled Vietnam and immigrated to California in the late 1970s, where he started auditioning as a child actor. He got work in films like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Okie dokie, Dr. Jones, hold on potatoes. And in childhood classics like Goonies, which has a scene resembling Temple of Doom. <laughs> and throughout these years, these were the roles he was getting asked to play. Not especially imaginative or inclusive, even stereotypical. By the time he got a role in Encino Man across now Academy Award winner Brendan Fraser, Quan was getting frustrated. We took a vote, and the computer club feels your presence will be a valuable asset to our organization. For the next 20 years, he drifted away from acting. He got a film degree. He became a stunt coordinator. But something happened. He started seeing Asians represented differently on film. He specifically cited crazy rich Asians as a reason he decided to seek an audition once again for the film that would eventually win him an Oscar. There's a great evil that has taken root in my role, and it's begun spreading its chaos throughout the many verses. This was a movie about an ordinary person becoming a type of superhero. But last night, up on stage, this dream was coming true everywhere, all at once. Also, my favorite part was hearing my new favorite song, Not To Not To, live on stage. Like, what a banger. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, we don't need statues. We're just asking for five-star ratings and reviews. They really do help us out wherever you listen. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milky. See you tomorrow. Hey. 
Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.